0: Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hurst Ranch at HurstRanch.com.
1: Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, this is Tuesday, April 30th, 2019. We're here in the studio in the back of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. All right, we've got some good guests. Everyone go around the room and introduce yourselves because we're going to have an interesting conversation with some beer bar owners and managers and experts. This is uh, Dan LaMonica from Beer Karma.
2: Hey, this is Matt from The Sampler and Uptown Beer Society. This is Joel from the Sampler Uptown Beer Society and the official partners of Moniker Fear.
1: And it's James, a beer acolyte. James Ty, all right. So um, the the reason we all came together today, and there's a couple great call-ins coming in as well, uh, there was an article in VinePair about hashtag Bospor, which most of us kind of think is ridiculous and most beer professionals don't really take seriously. But Dan, you know, uh, at Beer Karma, when you opened, you know, you did a little research and... This is something that, that you wanted to talk about.
3: Yeah, so it, I, I've been talking about this now for over three years, uh, so it's a touch exhaustive, so it kind of, it started as, as I was opening up Beer Karma, I was hungry for knowledge trying to learn about the beer market consumers what they're doing uh, notice the trend of people when they were posting their pictures that the pores would be to the very very tippy top of the glass with absolutely no head uh, so I started to reach out to a handful of people and say hey like just curious like why are you doing that like wh- what's what's the purpose uh, and every single person that responded said oh I'm just doing it because the, the picture looks good or it looks good for the picture and I was just like wait a minute like I I don't understand that I thought there was some purpose of, of, of the uh, it was beneficial to the the beer drinking process. Uh and it was everyone was just hungry for likes, hungry for likes. Uh and you know I've appeared in a couple podcasts, Vine Pear quoted me. Um and it's just it's just frustrating because as as a beer professional, as someone that's trying to serve great beer in my establishment. Uh, to have it be that there's a whole contingent of people that are sort of doing the complete opposite of what I'm taught and what we're supposed to be teaching people uh, can be frustrating. Uh, and especially when, in the end of the day, they're doing something that's not about actually drinking the beer and enjoying the beer. They're doing it just to, to get likes on Instagram. So that's that's where my frustration stems.
1: And Joel and Matt, you guys, uh, you don't think it's that interesting. Do you?
2: No, it's just another trendy, uh, another trendy thing that is happening on the Internet. I don't know too much about it. I've just seen it, and I think it's silly because beer (laughs) needs head for aromatics. Beer needs head to be presentable.
3: Yeah, I got a lot of flack. I Right away, I, I still have this screenshot saved, but it, it was April of 2016, I posted something on Instagram sort of saying, like, I don't understand this, this is stupid, people need to stop doing it. I also posted something on Beer Advocate, and it was kind of, the difference was the Beer Advocate people were kind of like, hey, yeah, that's silly and ridiculous, like, you shouldn't do that. But I got a lot of hate on Instagram for it, is that people were like, you you shouldn't be calling people out like this, you're an asshole, all this kind of stuff. And it was like, ah, I don't know what to tell you, you know. Um,
4: I felt the same way when I would see uh, the Stellar commercials and they would scrape the... Head off of the beer, and it was just, you know, it's a, it's a marketing thing, I think, and doesn't really add to the experience of beer drinking or quality beer drinking.
1: And it's amazing, there's a lot of misinformation out there. I mean, James, a few years ago, we did a, a video with, you know, you were. There, there was some art and craft to pouring beer, and there's sure. there's definitely a, a, something that you also learn in some Cicerone training. You right, you?
5: right. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we talked about a little bit about just, like, you know, the, the elements of what makes, you know, for a good pour. Um, and specifically, like, with, with the project that we were doing, it was just, like, the right glass, you know, choosing the right glass and the elements that, and factors that went into making that decision.
1: And Dan, I know at, at Beer Karma, I mean, tell us more about your shop, because when we first had you on, you were just opening.
3: Yeah, so the the the, the identity of the space has definitely changed a little bit from what I had hoped it to be and what it is, in, in a positive way. Uh, but it's beer bar and beer store, which is kind of, uh, it's become a pretty common model. I know the sampler is pretty much the same thing as far as that broad concept, where you can take beer to go, but also sit down and drink. Uh, we do serve in both Tikus and Willie Betcher Pints the, are the primary service uh, glassware. Tikus are just expensive. I mean, as I, I think that they're a fantastic glassware, but they're not for every establishment. Uh, I mean, even at wholesale, they can cost upwards of $10 a glass, which is, you know, it, very expensive, whether it's your staff or your, your customers breaking them. So it's, they're not for everyone. Um, I mean the specific glass stuff, I mean, you should avoid the, the American shaker pint. I mean, I think we've kind of already established that, but you know, the average bar that's just looking at margins, margins, margins is going to take whatever glassware they can get for free or for cheap. And if it happens to be American shaker pints, that they can stack up, they're going to do that. Um, but I like to do they're nice because you could do multiple size pours in them. Um, you know, you could do, the ones I have are 14-ounce glasses, so you could do a full uh, pour, as well as 8- and 5-ounce pours look really nice in that. Whereas if I served you a pint glass with that's half full, it doesn't look very nice either. So uh, they give you an opportunity to, to leave a little bit of room for, for aromatics, uh, but you, you, they're, they're versatile as well because you could do multiple, like short, uh, half, and then full pours.
1: I mean, there's definitely something about, you know, certain restaurants, you know, you're getting a glass of wine, and it's, it's poured to a certain level in the glass. And you kind of expect that. But a lot of times at a, at a bar, more of a regular bar, people expect to get poured to the top. What, what do you guys see? Uh,
2: the same thing. You know, it depends on if the staff is trained and what they're doing with glassware. Us personally, we use delirium uh, glasses because, A, they're the most stolen beer glass in the world. <laughs> B, it coincides with graffiti and racking and, you know, kind of and they have unlimited palates at SKI Beer. So they bring them, you know, we use the 16.9s for the 16-ounce uh, cans, and then we use the 13-ounce uh, the for the large pours of, like, anything that's, you know, higher in margins or um, higher in ABV. So.
1: Matt?
4: And pouring beers, it's, I mean, we have 20 taps at the, at the sampler, so, like, I know for a fact every single one of those beers pours differently. Different styles of beer pour differently. Different kegs will pour differently. Um, There's no, like, one-size-fits-all solution to pouring a beer. So, you know, a lot of it is adapting on the fly when it comes to pouring, especially stuff like wheat beers and saisons and certain wild beers like prairies and perennials are, like, sometimes a nightmare. They're delicious beers, but pouring them can be, you know, you waste a lot of beer if you don't know what you're doing.
1: Well, that's one thing I love about you guys. I mean, you guys are good beer seal bars. Some of you will be, and uh, we're going to bring that back this year. But it's a very different experience, you know, having an on-premise establishment where you're pouring beer on draft and handling it. That's a different skill set than it is just getting cans and sitting at home sure. and taking pictures of it. Do um, you guys want to talk about the challenges of, of running an on-premise establishment?
2: Yeah, there, is, um, there are challenges with on and off because people get upset at corkage fees and stuff like that. But, like, you're still winning with the corkage because you're getting a 16-ounce double IPA for, what, 10, 11 bucks? And they'll still be like, why am I, is it cheaper to go? I'm like, no, this is retail. This is bar. It's,
3: it's the psychological like, psychology of the upcharge. I deal with the exact same thing, and I've kind of given up on it. Where even if the, you, the only way to explain it to someone is to be demeaning to them, be like, "You're stupid and you don't understand it." <laughs> so it's just kind of like, "Hey, like it's cheaper to go. You're still getting a good deal, and you just got to try and put your hands up and let them go." But yeah, I deal with that kind of on a regular basis. That they they just they, they act like I charge a three dollar corkage fee, which is pretty relatively standard. And I mean, people act like I'm charging them an extra ten dollars to drink the beer. Yeah, the
2: same. We charge three if it's under five. We charge two. If it's between six and eight, and a dollar if it's at nine, so like, it's fair. I'm not gonna sell a three or four dollar beer unless I'm trying to, you know, blow out of it. Or if it was, a
4: we try to we try to explain to customers that we're not charging more for the beer, but we're just matching the draft price uh, of the same beer. Usually we'll have something on in the fridge that's the same on draft, and it's a, it's easier when you give them an example. Like, look, this 16 ounce beer is five bucks in the fridge. The same beer, a 16 ounce pour is eight bucks. All the, all the corkage fee is doing is just matching, you know, those prices and no one's winning, no one's losing. It's just, uh, you know, beer costs what it costs.
1: Great. James? True.
5: No, very true, very true. I, I think, uh, well, that, just the prevalence of, of these bottle shop tap rooms that, that are just like, you know, exploding across the city. Um, a lot of people just, they don't think about that corkage fee. They just kind of like see the price that's on, that, that sticker that's on the back of that can or that bottle. And they just come in with those expectations. But it's the same thing if you want to compare it to the wine side. You know, you if you're, let's say, a, a BYOB restaurant, they're going to charge you a corkage fee as well. You know, but people can't make that, that, uh, that, that similar kind of leap, you know, on the beer world, which is kind of strange. But
3: that's just it's what the terminology in. too of a corkage fee and versus, and you know, you're just popping open a can or, or a bottle, and I think that's part of it too. Is that there's not there's not the appropriate term for it yet in the beer world. Is that that it's kind of catching up, and and it's like, yeah, that people just don't understand. It's like you're just opening that can for me, and it's like you're not the corkage fee in a restaurant isn't because people are, un, are undoing the wine bottle. It's, exactly, it's, it's margins. It's you got to pay rent, you got to pay, you got to pay for the bathroom and Wi-Fi and everything else. So
4: yeah, I actually just came back from London. I worked in one of the coolest craft beer bars over there called Kill the Cat. And uh, they actually do the same thing. They call it capage fees, but it's uh, it's it's not unusual for you know a bar retail space to sell, or excuse me, to charge those fees. Um, and then I've been kind of training some staff there and some staff here, and I find that if you give the beer value and you treat the beer like it's quality, and you you know you give the the customer that value experience, they usually don't question why they're paying a certain amount for the beer. So I mean, like things like proper head and. Proper glassware, and you know, rolling the can when you're pouring a, or you know, when you have sediment in a bottle, and you like, there's just certain things that you can do to for the customer to feel like they're getting a certain value, and that's why this beer costs this much.
1: Great, we're gonna go back to the boss pour subject. Um, one of my favorite beer experts, uh, Marella Amato, is on the phone. She's a master cicerone. She's also the author of a new book that you all should check out, Beerology. Marella, welcome to the show
6: great to finally be on how long have we been talking about
1: this yeah but you know you're still in toronto so you know uh see so you, you're pissed off about boss Poor, you don't like it you are worried about it affecting the industry what's going on
6: oh well i yeah i think it would be a fair assessment to say that i don't like it i actually only discovered it a few months ago um i'm not really on instagram very much and uh it really offended me <laughs> and uh, I could go ahead and put my mattress with your own hat on here and talk about how it's not appropriate for and that's not how you pour beer, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, you know, thing about the boss pour is it is not a boss pour from an aesthetic perspective. I don't know if any of you fine gentlemen have ever done photo shoots with beer. Um, I certainly did when I, when I was putting together my book. And, you know, with a proper pour, you have a head of foam, Ideally, it's billowing up a little bit from the top of the glass, um, and then you step away and you have like a few minutes to take that picture, maximum, before the head starts to collapse or the glass starts to frost over and, you know, if it's a a huge production, then you know everything's set, everything's perfect, then there's, oh, there's a reflection from the light, you have to reset that, then now your phone's collapsed, you've got to bring your, your phone. It is incredibly, incredibly difficult to take a good picture of the beer that is poured properly. And I would argue that that is a boss pour In fact, there's a photo in my book, which I consider <laughs> to be an, you know, a huge feat, which is, I think, there's like nine or 12 beers on the table. And we had to get them all lined up, all the foam exactly in the right place. make sure nothing was um, was sweating. Because, of course, you put a cold beer into a glass. In a few minutes, uh, it starts to sweat. You have to wipe it. By the time you've you wiped it, the foam has collapsed. Uh, if you use a warmer beer, then obviously the glass doesn't frost, but then you, you know you still have uh, issues with the foam, and you have a much smaller window because the foam. Is, it's, it is a to do, you know. To do the boss pour, all you have to do is let the beer warm up. You can even degas it, pour it to the rim, and then take your. you have like hours to take that photo. It's like uh, a here, let Dan, let Dan
1: jump in because you're, you're saying you could actually pour flat beer and, and take. No, a photo. so wait.
3: I was, was a couple of quick <laughs> comments. So, Morel, I think part of that is I think it's it's the ease. Most of those, these people that are doing this are they're sort of amateur at home, uh, beer drinkers, and 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 I think it is out of ease that they started to do this. But I wanted to ask because you said you did that one photo with nine beers across. I've heard of uh, breweries using milk frothers uh, before doing photos like that when they had to take. You know nine beers across like I could take a picture of one or two beers with with an inch of head but nine is very difficult uh did you have any other tricks that you did in order to sort of have that uh work out properly
6: yeah so I've been actually on a number of shoots and um there were a few where the stylist put um some kind of, it wasn't no fraud I think one of those put uh, egg whites in the hmm. foam um another one had some kind of special uh you know, chemical that they could throw in, but um, then it starts leaking out of the bottom. And <laughs> You get these these streams uh, coming through the beer, and then you have to throw out the whole thing. It, what, it is uh, when Matt, I when I did that picture, it was just me being quick with chocolate. <laughs> you,
1: you gotta Mar- <laughs> you gotta post that that photo and send it to us, okay?
4: Yeah. Me and Joel yeah, actually yeah, exactly. have a here's, trick. Here's Matt; he's got a trick. We actually will grab a either a bar stirrer or a, a straw and we'll just kind of swirl it around really quickly in the glass, and that usually builds the head back up um, in seconds.
6: Yeah, I'll run up to there. Chopsticks you just kind are of even more effective yeah. for some reason. Um, I believe it's because of the, the, the more nucleation, because if you, you know, just get um, like takeout chopsticks, they're very uneven, uh, yeah. and that allows you to get, even when there's like just a, a drop of carbonation in there, you can give it a good stir. Um, I don't know. You know, for me, you know, those tours clearly aren't meant to be consumed. They're meant to be looked at. But I look at those and especially the ones that are New England IPAs, like I'm not even convinced that's beer. That could be orange juice. So hmm. it's it's just confusing to me that this has become a thought.
3: I think I don't what's, know, to what's,
6: me, what's implies awesomeness.
3: What's become most confusing to me is that, you know, I, I think I, I've said I have the responsibility and, and so do you guys, uh Joel and Matt, as far as you are presenting great beer and as you, uh, you as well, well, and then and there are now breweries that are doing this as well so if, if i if the breweries are sort of doing this as well uh, with their own photographs in order to do this boss pour they're not necessarily taking care of their beer and presenting it in the best way possible where does that leave us you know what i mean i'm i'm buying these really expensive kegs and then i'm supposed to be pouring them a proper way but then then the breweries representing their beer totally different so it's kind of you're you at a little of a crossroads of do you just stick to your guns of this is how i'm trained this is how i know i'm supposed to serve beer or do you just kind of say, you know, what if the breweries are doing this and everyone else is doing it? Like, why, why bother? At some point, I
1: mean, at some point, you know, it's like mar- let me just it, marketing kind of like leads the way and what sells. I mean, five or six years ago, Spiegelau rolled out these custom glass where there was the IPA glass, the stout glass, the wheat beer glass. And we, we did there were special tastings and we did shows with them. And Morel, I'm sure you were part of all those. And you know, you you kept thinking, wow, this is the next standard. And guys like like Taurus and and, and and uh, Beer Karma have the teku glasses. Um, I thought that there was a new standard being set, but m- maybe we can't stick to standards. I don't know.
5: <laughs> yeah.
1: Hey, James let ja- let James come in. Are Ma-
6: okay?
1: James in. No, it's a.
5: It's a oh, a, hey, James. Hey, Maria, how are you doing?
6: Great, how
5: are you? I'm well, thanks. So, you know, I wanted to get your perspective. We talked about the Bospor. We've talked about, you know, like, you know, what that means in today's kind of ethos and in the landscape. So, you know, speaking as one of the 18 master cisterns in existence today, what would you say is probably the prettiest beer that you see in a glass? You know, like, what, what, what would be your perspective on that? Well, I, when I look
6: at a photo of a beer, I want to see uh, the light streaming through that beer, A. Okay? Um, to really get a sense of the nuances of color that that can be in a beer, you know, um, the center is going to be a different color than the edges. I want a nice head of foam, and as I mentioned earlier, I want it filling out the top, even if it's dripping a little on the side. But that's like that's like a super box color. That's like an incredible partnership as well. But that's you know that's what I want to see. Be. Beyond that, of course, um, it's the beer is a specific beer then it should be in the appropriate glass but I don't think you know we need to get super fancy I know the Keku was mentioned and the Spiegelau glasses and so on and so forth I think as long as the glass is appropriate to the style and you know some styles don't have foam and that's fine yeah. um, that but is- I want to see something that is appropriate and that was also a huge to do with my book because you know photos would come back and it's, I'm sure you've all had this issue with you know pamphlets or, or publications or textbooks that you put together and you
1: know they pull out stock images and it's like hmm this is about quarters that beer is yellow So, hold on a second out. just um we're, just give another shout out Morel amato uh new books out bureaulogy thank you for calling and stay on with us but we're just going to keep talking go out a little further joelle I, um,
2: I'm all about presentation, and I feel like as much as I respect the Cicerone program and what the, all the professionals and people that know more than me and have more experience do, I feel like everyone finds their own niche. I'm all about presentation, like I said, so sometimes if something doesn't have head retention, I will rough pour it first. If I have four or five glasses, I will rough pour all the foam first, and then I will top it off at a 45 degree angle, so everything is presented equally at the same time. I will also pour over the glass, so by the time the customer gets it, the foam is about probably two inches in the glass and another inch outside, more or less half an inch. So by the time they... Get back from the bathroom, or with their phone out to take a photo. It's right at the uh, at the rim because at Taproom 307, when we were really busy, and we would, I was a server, we would bust glasses, and we would have to top off everything. So I learned maybe I should over pour out the glass foam, so by the time the server gets it or the customer, it's perfectly at the rim. So I feel like you, everybody finds their own niche or gateway into presence. So that's a great a point. Yeah. In the
1: reality of actually serving, yeah, half the time, by the time you take the, the beers to a table. It's settled, and it looks like you don't have a full glass. Exactly.
2: My pet
4: peeve is uh, someone will order a beer for me, and I pour a perfect pour, and they walk to the bathroom. And by the time they get out the bathroom, it's completely flat. So uh, I usually keep an eye out for someone who's like, I have another beer and they take off and I just kind of pour their beer halfway and I wait for them to get back to finish the pour.
5: Or relevant to this conversation, someone that will just whip out their phone and Instagram that picture of your beautiful uh, beer
1: you know, <laughs> well, before they drink but it. But you know yeah. what? If I'm out, I'm out with a good beer and I've got a date, I'm not looking at my phone, gentlemen. Hey. <laughs> Dan?
3: No, I'm,
1: I'm throwing my hands up at your joke, not at, uh,
3: <laughs> no comment.
1: Well, that's the other thing. But um, I, well, another thing I'm going to give a shout out to New York City, good Brazil bars and really good craft beer bars and bottle shops. I really feel like that people go there to actually talk to people and drink. You know, you, you, I feel like there's a different market where you're at home and you've got this can. And I know a lot of guys that listen, and, and uh, I feel bad for you guys because <laughs> I mean, it's it's great to be home. And I thank God there's a good can you can have a beer at home. But I would much rather be out in a, one of these bars like the Sampler or, or Beer Karma talking to people. And uh, so, cheers to you guys. Cheers. And what you do, because it's a lot of extra work, you know. And um, if you don't know what it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's I've seen the I feel like the can business has really changed the game. Um, even you guys having cans, talking about worrying about a corkage feed to, to pour. For a, a while, it was like craft beer bars only had draft. That's that's what it seemed like. So there's a lot of in, in, interesting changes that have happened, right, since, I don't know, even the last five years. For yeah, you, you got the Lerium
2: 16.9s. You got all these German breweries on 16.9s. So you got everyone canning overseas.
3: No, yeah, the, the international markets are canning because the, for, for the American market. Uh, and then craft breweries, too. They're, I mean, Allagash uh, cans are, are hitting New York City this week. It's, they were a brewery that would have never canned 10 years ago, and now now that's what they're doing. I mean, I was, I was going to joke. The irony, I say we're a bottle shop, but 80% of what I have in the fridge, if not more than that, is in cans uh, for, for packaged stuff. It's, that's what people want to buy. I, I, I turn down buying things that are in 12-ounce bottles. It, or, or people say, oh, the cans are coming soon. It's like, I'll wait for cans, because if I put 12-ounce bottles in the fridge, they're just not going to sell for me.
1: Borella, are you seeing any trends about that? You know, uh, cans and other things. I know that you travel a lot uh, as a mastocist around. Trends
6: in terms of cans versus bottles?
1: Sure. <laughs> any, if you're thinking about it, if, if not, we'll move on to another subject.
6: Um. No, I mean, uh, you know, each area is, is different. I mean, that's a broad question.
3: No, um, it, I did want to go
6: back, however, to a statement that was made earlier getting back to the boss board because I do have to hop off in a second but um, you know first of all I think it's amazing what everyone was talking about doing to really secure a nice core and uh, I'm feeling you all in terms of you know, you've know made a beer look amazing then that person pops off the wash and comes back and takes a picture it's like oh could have been better but um, going back to you know what was said about breweries picking up, this up for marketing I think that is ex- extremely dangerous I mean, first of all, they're throwing money out the window. because um, if you're pouring a beer to the rim, that's not the way it's meant to be poured. Uh, so that that space that should be full that is here, you know, we're talking about probably about ten cents per pint that you're just throwing out and to set that standard is just it's, it's baffling. And then compounded by I think it was Dan who mentioned earlier the fact that, you know, as an industry, we have been working so hard to promote the proper weight for beer, which um, yes, you know, will save some money but also really increases the enjoyment of that beer by, you know, releasing the aromas on preaching to the be converted beer and um, you know ensuring that the beer isn't over carbonated. And we've come so far with that education and to see if Instagram people want to do silly things, that's great. But to see brewers hopping on that trend with their marketing um, and tap rooms, I think that's really it's problematic uh, and again just throwing money out the window
1: what are you doing great <laughs> thanks so much for calling in Morella Bureaulogy Dan, thanks, Dan what were you going to say it's just pleasure.
6: before that uh, no was, i, I
3: it's it's always interesting i mean Joel mentioned uh, to, to talk to someone like morella who's a master drone. you know what i mean that, that there's just sort of another level of knowledge about beer service beer pouring and and just beer quality uh and and those are the people that we should be listening to you know what i mean that that's that's who we should be sort of taking taking account from and and let them let, let their voices be heard cuz they know what they're talking about
1: and what goals do you guys have i mean you guys are all like kind of at the top of your game trying to do a good job serving getting the, the best craft beers T- t- just tell me some of the things that you, that you guys want to do going forward. One of
4: our uh, main objectives, especially at the sampler or with uh, like our group Uptown Beer Society, is kind of educating um, people on beer, beer styles, um, you know, how to drink and taste certain beers and enjoy beer. You know, we want to teach them about aromas and and head retention and tasting and finish. and um, we just feel that the more people are educated about beer, the less it, it becomes just a thing that you crush, you know. It's it's interesting that people have this like consciousness about what food they consume and like they want to eat better, or like when it's spirits, they want to drink the more expensive spirits. But when it comes to beer, unfortunately, a lot of people think that cheap is is the way to go or low quality. But we're trying to just change people and uh, give them a more like uh, self awareness that you could drink better and you should drink better.
5: Yeah, yeah they, I, I think the, the key to that, too, is just doing that in a way to not insult people, too, because you see a lot of people that yeah. they come in, like, really highbrow and, like, really try to, like, you know, lay out some esoteric terms, and, you know, you're not going to win people over by doing that, right. and and, and, and I, I know, like, no one in this room, you know, really kind of adheres to that kind of philosophy, but when you see it on the streets, you know, and it's typically, it's not even the beer professional that's doing it. It's just, like, someone that's, like, really, really into, into his passion, brain. you know, his or her yeah. passion, I'm sorry, which is a great yeah. thing, too, but in many ways it does a disservice to the people who just really trying to learn more about this stuff
1: Dan uh, you brought in the first beer what is it, is it uh, this is f- no uh, first beer we're drinking is uh, Lounge from Finback uh,
3: it was their spring saison it was a dry up saison I believe the dry up was Equinot and Citra uh, it's really nice it's, it's pretty, pretty low fantastic. ABV for a saison it's five and a half percent alcohol uh, but it's kind of uh, like a light easy drinking beer uh, for spring so this has been a favorite of mine in the shop uh, yeah. yeah
5: it's really nice it's got like these like kind of like lemon notes mm. to it like really citrus forward yeah yeah
3: Back to
2: piggyback on what you guys are saying. I mean, the goal is to just, you know, find comfort in people and kind of find where they're where people come in and say, I don't like beer. That is your chance to be like, do you like sour candy? Do you like dessert? What do you like? What have you enjoyed? Oh, I guess, you know, I'll drink a Stella. that you go, a Pills. Um, every now and then a Blue Moon. that you go, let me get a wit. And it's just about educating them, like us being from the Bronx and growing up with all people of all different walks of life and cultures. We kind of learn how to, like, cha- kind of be chameleons when we talk or, you know, when we connect with people. So, you know, whether that person comes in of any culture, we can just switch it up from the most, you know, geekiest white dude to like the most hoodiest black dude. Like we can connect with all, and people like us are very important because they're more inclined to listen to us and respect what we got. That's think. great.
1: We're going to talk more about that. We have to take a short break We'll be right back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're talking about proper pouring, you know, service and good bars and uh, the boss pour. So, um, Joel and and Matt, Uptown Beer Society and The Sampler, you guys were talking about how you educate people and and, and, uh, selling people by style.
2: So, yeah, it starts at the grassroots of what they like. So, you know... It's pretty easy. It's it's good to find a connection between a beer. It's good to learn what the macros are: the Angry Orchard, the Stella's, the Guinness, the Blue Moon. All that, all those beers will help you try to connect a person, even down to the maltier stuff like Four Local that people drink. Like it's a or or a Forty. Like what does that taste like? Why do they like that? And trying to, you know, find their niche. And if it's not beer, what do they like? Do they like spicy, sweet, savory? And you can connect the beer all for that.
4: Matt. Yeah, the worst thing you can do is be pretentious. Uh, especially when you're working in a craft beer bar, about uh, someone who doesn't know the microbrew. Um, I mean, it, it makes total sense. You see billboards for all the coronas and the cores and the blue moons. You don't see billboards for microbreweries. Um, you know, so it's totally understandable that that's the style that people are advertising, that's the style
1: they know. Great. Um, our special guest, Julia Hertz from the Brewers Association in Colorado, is on the, on the line. Hello, Julia.
7: Hi, everybody. How
1: are you doing? Julia. Good. Doing I, I, good? I, I, I want to just get, we're, we're talking about Bospor, but I want to talk more about what Matt and Joelle were just talking about. You know, if you look at, it seems like the big challenge is, m- there's a lot of beer sales. Still, most people are drinking macros and non-craft. You know, uh, would you talk to them about the, their strategy about how to get more people turned on to craft beer and, and, and other, other strategies like that that the Brewers Association is is putting out there?
7: I love the answer of don't be pretentious Mm. and keeping it fun. Beer is fun. It's accessible. It's an affordable luxury. That's a great place to start.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things we, uh, we, for the sampler, it's like that's our uh, base. But with Uptown Beer Society, we really get a chance to be out there in the streets and bring the beer and the fun and the craft to the people.
2: Yeah. And it starts with history, too. Like we go back to Egypt and Africa, black females in Africa were the first brewers. And when a person with African uh, that is African-American with African roots hears that, they're like, wait, what, really? And it's like, yes, we created this thing and we all deserve to drink better and you deserve to drink better. This isn't pretentious. This isn't hipster. This doesn't have a color.
1: That's great. And uh, Julie we were talking earlier about also the boss pour. so Dan's here from Beer Karma which is a great beer bar in uh, in Brooklyn and um we had some conversations about it. Um that's why I asked you to call in. So do you want to talk about that? Serving beer, pouring beer, proper pour, uh anything and along those lines?
7: Yeah, and it's such an important part of it because the carbonation which is great with pairings, grabs the tongue, gets the a- you know, get this ready for the next bite, it's something that also you don't want to ingest too much of it. So if you're pouring a beer, whether it's from draft, right, or the bottle or the can, pouring it into a glass has you literally intaking physically less carbonation, and so that fills you up less. So drink your beer out of a glass, plus you get the benefits when you pour it into a glass of more aromatics. Um, And that enhances the flavor. So there's that. And when you pour, if you want to try for a perfect, beautiful pour, then go for that proper collar of foam. Hold your glass at 45-degree angle. Open the faucet or, you know, pour your um, beer down the side of the glass for about two-thirds of the pour and then straighten up that glass and let it cascade down the middle and fall to the bottom. And that's going to kind of exacerbate that collar of foam and, and get those those beautiful aromatics to go into the air and, and, and to be appreciated.
2: Thanks, Julia. Thank you so much for that because that's <laughs> something that literally I figured out on my own and I wasn't sure if it was like the proper thing to do, but it's amazing to hear that coming from you.
3: No, I mean, and there, there are little tricks you can do that. I mean, I uh, sometimes have trouble, like on on Monday nights, we've got a running group and and I feature a particular beer and sometimes that means that I'm pouring 20 to 25 pints in a row of the same beer and because that beer that's coming out of the keg is very, very cold, I've got short lines, I've got a direct draw, you have to agitate the beer a little bit, so I'll kind of, as I'm pouring, swirl the beer a little bit, otherwise you will get zero head, so there are little tricks that you figure out, especially because pouring from a a draft system versus a can versus a bottle is totally different Uh, but there are little things that you can do and it is, like, it's a very good point, like we're talking about presentation, but there is, there are legitimate ways from it from an actual consumption and an aromatics point of view, why you want the head on the beer as, as it's served.
2: Yeah, I feel like there's no rules. That's how craft was created, right? Just taking a risk, trying your own thing.
1: Great line. It's a good group of guys here, Julia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, we called you because it, you, you really are. Just tell us more about your role for the Brewers Association because these guys are here um, at the forefront of, of serving and selling beer in New York City, but I feel like that not all beer bars get to connect with the Brewers Association.
7: Sure. I, I'm talking to today from Boulder, Colorado. We are the national nonprofit group that represents the majority of breweries in the U.S. Um, we've been around in different iterations um, since 1942 when small brewers got together to secure tin for bottle caps. Um, 1978, Charlie Papazian started the American Home Brewers Association, and then we blossomed from there. And what a cool job to work with amazing people like you guys and beer lovers and distributors um, and brewers and really advance the beverage of beer, which was mass-produced lager, you know, pre-1980s and kind of a a dismal time. And now you get people literally making a living like me and you guys and and half your listeners that um, get so much enjoyment out of beer. And kind of back to the beginning of the conversation that I got to listen to you guys saying you know beer teaches us geography it teaches us history it teaches us sensory and flavor it teaches us about ourselves because if you dive in to what you really like flavor wise and then you start to get to know the story behind the producer and where the beer originated and where the ingredients originated there's just so many places to go
2: absolutely
5: hey hey, julia um as my favorite craft beer director at the Brewers Association, (laughs) I want to know, (laughs) yes, I want to know, like I'm just tying everything together here. Um, What in terms of like, you know, obviously we have a room here of a a lot of, uh, you know, like uh, just people that are working in the on premise side of things. So they're dealing a lot with draft systems and just pouring for consumers. So what are some of the things that you see out there that people are doing wrong, you know, in in terms of uh, serving beer that would lead to something like a boss pour, you know, at your at your local that we don't that we don't want?
7: Yeah, I mean, especially on draft, I see a lot of challenges. You just sit at the bar, at bar A, B, or C in any market in the country, you're going to see things that as a beer lover and, you know, beer educator make you cringe. You know, you don't want to take it too seriously, but it's not great when you get a dirty glass. This round program just had, um, you know, Beer Clean Glass Day um, on April 27th, and there's a reason if we had carbonation, um, in our food, then we would see how much we are, you know, consuming and being exposed to on the plate, right? Um, we have residual sanitizer and um, lipstick and terrible things. And I always say, I don't want to be exposed. I want to get intimate with my beer, but I don't want to be exposed to the previous affairs of who also enjoyed beer from that glass. And it's 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 really gross. <laughs> so we just can't get clean glassware. Wine would never... You know, it's rare that you see not, not clean glassware. Maybe a little minerality from the, the water is residual on some glasses, but I'm talking wherever you see bubbles on the inside of the glass that are gathering, that's a glass that has not been properly cleaned at that spot, and who knows what you're consuming. So bars got to get it right there. That's that, that number one, beer clean glass.
4: And if you don't see clean glass, you got to imagine what the, uh, the lines look like.
7: Yeah, they're not necessarily paying attention. And we wrote the book at the Brewers Association. I'm holding in front of me the draft beer quality manual that big brewers and small brewers um, got together. This is in the fourth edition. It's now physically a book. More than 100,000 copies of this are out in the space. And it really talks about the importance of, of line cleaning every two weeks with caustic, every three months with acid clean, and then properly rinsing those lines and really making sure that you also get at the stainless components, your couplers and your faucets. And that is key. And it's just like being a restaurant and properly cleaning, you know, your, your dishes, properly cleaning your sink, properly cleaning your stove, properly cleaning your fridge. But for some reason, beer lines just get forgotten Um, and so we are all working to make that not be a forgotten task.
3: Julia, I don't want to give you nightmares, but have you ever seen, uh, on Instagram, the draft police NYC page? Oh
7: man! No, but I'll check it out. I have got some crazy so pictures. Uh,
3: they're 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 part of the the draft choice uh, uh, team where they do both the installations as well as cleanings. And he will do it in, honestly. He won't he won't call out the bars and restaurants. But you will That's see good. keg couplers and faucets that are oh, they look like just scoby colonies. It's 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 gross in the sense of you can't imagine that someone took that coupler off of one keg and put it onto another and thought it was okay. Um, and then yeah, we, uh, to to your point, it's we 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 about the boss bar and all that silly stuff. But at the end of the day, if you're drinking. Out of a dirty glass or dirty tap lines, you're 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 not in a good place anyway. So how you're pouring the beer is is important, but uh, the the clean the cleanliness of all, all of your, your uh, hardware
1: is is key. And Matt, you got you kind of perked up when he mentioned the draft police on Instagram.
4: Yeah, I could just imagine what you know. What I I so often will suspect that a, a bar is not cleaning their lines, and I, you know, not to be insulting, I'll just you know drink it out of the bottle or the can just to be on the safe side.
1: I mean, I'll tell you honestly, for me, it's one reason why I, I only used to go drink draft beer at places that I knew really well, and that's why we had the good beer seal for a lot of these bars, because I've I've been to places where I walk in. Still to this day, I walk in. It's like, oh, it looks like a, a pub. There's going to be some, some beers on draft. I see some brands that I know. So I would think that this would be good, and instantly you can just tell the lines haven't been cleaned. And sometimes I almost feel like, those are the kind of bars that aren't even moving those beers, which makes it even worse. And they might be moving the macro line. So there's something else going on as well where there's not paying attention to th- their craft portfolio.
2: Yeah, and that's what a boss pour is. A boss pour is when you go to a dive bar and they literally rough pour your beer and it comes to the rim with no head because the glass is dirty and the lines are gross. So there you go, guys. That's what a boss pour right.
4: is. Yeah, and no, a lot of it comes down to staff. I mean, especially... You know, what you said especially about bo- beers being neglected. If, if a beer is sitting there for weeks or months at a time, you know, that means the staff is not, they're not educated on what that beer is or the style is or how to sell it to a certain customer. Um, we always say at the Sampler, we're not just beer servers, we're beer sellers. And we try to really, you know, pay attention to every every draft line, every beer, make sure everything moves, you know, at an appropriate amount of time.
1: Julia, is, is there anything to, to, to ba- you know, help us out with this? I mean... You guys are solidly behind breweries and and the craft beer industry, but the next step, you know, on premise, you know, serving a beer, you know, there's there's Cicerone, but is there anything that the Brewers Association is doing uh, or might be doing in the future to help recognize, you know, beer bars that are really outstanding or or other best practices?
7: Well, beer bars outstanding, craftbeer dot com, our beer lover facing website, which gets millions of viewers a year. Is really incredible, um, and we publish now multiple years in a row the Great American Beer Bars, and it's it recognizes voted by craftbeer.com um, visitors, thousands of them voting their favorite beer bars in each state. So check that out; certainly a good one. Um, and I would say that the impetus back to kind of uh, bar practices of proper, properly clean glassware, properly cleaned draft systems, the impetus isn't just on the retailer because it is a lack of awareness. The authorities and experts in beer are the distributors and the brewers themselves. And so we've done everything from encourage brewers to put date codes on their beers, which we are front and center about. Um, So the freshness factor is there, but it goes to service. And when it goes to service, we have to help those retail accounts. And there's 750,000 accounts that have beverage alcohol licenses in the U.S. in some form to know about needing to clean their draft lines and to store their beer cold so it stays fresh. And so, you know, the, the distributors are the ones in and out of those accounts delivering that beer that they've sold, and they have a great chance to continue to educate, but sometimes it can certainly be an overwhelming battle. Um, but we need to do all we can to empower distributors and brewers to have all the ammunition to then properly educate the retailer.
1: You know, in and, and so, some places and some days... It used to be or can be the responsibility of of certain distributors to, to clean the lines. I know there's different rules in in different uh states. I don't right. know if anyone wants to talk about that, you know, just how far a brewery or distributor will go to ensure that that its its beer is served properly.
2: It depends on that uh I'm sorry then. No, no, uh, no it depends on that salesman honestly, because uh the distributor could a lot of these kids are moving to New York and they're looking for work and they get into a beer distributor and they don't know much and then they're trained and there's other kids like me who who was passionate growing up in the Bronx and got into beer because of Bronx Ale House and ended up at SKI Beer and had a mission statement to, to evolve beer in the Bronx and walk through every territory and kind of educate. That was my mission, but not everyone has that mission. So it's a personal thing, man. People could be trained up to par and they still will follow incentives. There's brewery incentives. You get more money for selling certain cases, like especially Manhattan Beer and AB and, and distributors like that who have huge incentives and their craft portfolio just pushes down so this comes from heart and 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 a person.
1: Well, I I I've seen the opposite where also where you get a really good brewery rep and they'll command and and they'll see that their beer's not pouring right and they'll actually go back to the keg room and help you adjust it. I don't know if you have, have that No, there's to there's other instances of that. I you know, people
3: will say if a if a beer's not super fresh, you'll, they'll they'll buy a keg back or not really since like keg but but they'll 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 swap out kegs. Uh, they'll they'll buy cans back. Um, there's definitely uh, I think it's illegal in New York for distributors and breweries to pay to have your lines cleaned uh, so that's not necessarily the case uh, but uh, there's definitely there, there should be a care uh, it's not necessarily always going to be the case but I think breweries do want want their beer properly. I've heard instances of, of breweries taking kegs back because it was it was stale beer uh, IPAs specifically where it was a local brewery where a bar had bought a keg and just sat on it for months and then posted oh XYZ IPA on tap and they're like wait a minute that was from that was from December. Why are you tapping that at the beginning of May? And they went and took it back from them. So there's definitely a focus on it, but uh, it, it, at some point you gotta sell beer, so you, you can't be on the ground at every single account all the time managing all of their tap lines. So, but but it's it's trying to sort of push for that. I know that my distributor reps will talk about dirty lines uh, and know that certain bars are notorious for that, but there's only so much that they can do. You know.
2: Yeah, it's up to the four tier. I mean, people say three tier. I think there's four tiers. There's there's the distro. There's the actual, you know, well, the import distro and then there's the account and then there's the actual people that work there because those are the final brand ambassadors that are either going to make or break that brand or that beer.
5: Yeah, I mean, it definitely comes down to education about, you know, like, why why is this beer not pouring the way it should be? Why is this beer not tasting the way that it should be? And so, you know, getting back to your point, Joel, is just to have that passion to learn about, like, you know, where these things are coming from and to troubleshoot that. And, you know, back to the Brewers Association, that draft quality manual is uh, invaluable when it comes to that. And so I, I personally really... Recommend that, that piece of literature to everybody that works on all progress.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Because a, a bartender, I always say, is a dime a dozen. You know, you can find many bartenders, but people who actually care about beer, or are educated about beer, or are passionate about sharing what they know about beer, those are those are the, the true gems.
1: Well, just one, Joelle. I like what you said that that bad beer or beer that wasn't in a clean glass or or clean lines is what comes out as a boss pour. That's what it is. <laughs> um, let's. You want to end on that note, Juliet? You know, what do you think of that boss pour trend? And you know, what do you think is it impacting what consumers are expecting uh, from a tap room?
7: You know, we've never surveyed deep enough, I think, to know anything that um, gets to the level of desired collar of foam that kind of sensory but we definitely know um the top things that beer lovers want at least that we've surveyed or nielsen surveyed is freshness one of freshness is definitely year in and year out continued to be the top and if you think about american ipa which is the number one selling style from u.s craft brewers at least you know freshness um is is essential so we, we we really need it's hit or miss at retail. We really need as beer lovers to take our money to retailers and support the retailers that maybe call it the fifth tier, right? That um, that are that get beer and, and get proper beer service. Um, but it's, 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 it's not an overnight thing that's going to be solved. Truly, you can you send a note it.
3: out to all the West Coast breweries to stop uh, stressing uh, shelf stability of their IPAs then uh, and, and do a little more of the, uh, the six-week thing that we do in New York and, and the East Coast for the hazy IPAs? Yeah, I noticed that. Yes.
7: Yeah. <laughs> Just throwing a little a bit of shade. Sorry. The
3: expiration.
2: IPA see shelf a...
7: life is not determined. Shelf life is a relative thing, but certainly we've, it's been proven that with temperature and time, um, beers are, I wouldn't call it less stable. I would call them, they are going through a cycle, a flavor cycle, and they're less fresh. So that's certainly something. And, you know, um, uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale has 150-day shelf life, and they they back that. So, And that's very, you know, aromatic-centric hop beer. So shelf life's a little bit relative, but I definitely think sell-through is key. And establishments that are stocking, you know, um, aromatic centric beers that are very hop centric need to pay attention to the sell through and the time that that beer has been available and also store it
1: cold.
4: Yeah. If you like a, a multi IPA, I'm not mad at you, but I'd much rather see a a kegged on date or a canned date or a bottled on date.
1: And the last thing, you know, if we're going down that road too, it's also about how, how fast you make your beer, you know? I mean, it seems like breweries can, can turn out IPAs faster and faster and generally, I don't think those beers last as long. But there's there, there there's definitely a knack for taking your time with beer too. So there's a lot of things to, to learn and, and to talk about. James, anything else for Julia? Uh,
5: you know. Oh no, I will. I, I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about what you were talking about with the glyc- glycosidic bonds, hop creep, and but that's that's a little bit too technical for for where we're going right now. Um, I you know Julia, I'd like what. What is kind of like on the Brewers Association's kind of like the horizon in terms of different um, initiatives that are coming out with regards to, uh, you know, just the beer serving and and just the quality of beer um, and and kind of upholding those standards?
7: I love those standards. And we just had our technical committee, um, which we almost have 90 brewery members involved in our technical team. They have a summit every other year. We've done this um, six years now, so three times, and they just met and talked about the priorities from the brewer side of what we, as their association, should work on. And technical covers many things. It covers sensory, it covers um, draft systems. We have ambassadors devoted to draft beer quality and you know, teaching and instruction on that. We have an incredible amount of resources devoted to hop research and barley research. So technical also can cover safety sustainability of brewers raw materials and sourcing um the list really goes on bigger than just what we're working on initiative wise in terms of beer service but that is on the list and it's certainly something that we continue to have resources on the main website that we publish all of our information on is brewersassociation.org or craftbeer.com and then even on the homebrewers side homebrewersassociation.org we pay attention to supporting that community and there's more than a million active home brewers in the u.s so a lot of lot of good stuff um we'll be in dc for saver soon um, which is sold out love that that's a may event beer and food pairing is big advancing beer at retail isn't just selling beer we can now see from nielsen data that more beer occasions happen with food than with not um so beer and food pairing is a, is a huge um interest of ours to also advance
1: great nice julia thanks so much for joining us Guys, if you That's want to wrap true. it up, I know, Joel, you, you, you guys have some uh, pretty interesting things coming up, uh, art-related.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to talk a few about uh, some things that we got coming up. Uh, today, we finally um, announced our third collaboration with Interboro Spirits and Ales, which an artist from Queens called Skewville uh, did the can art. Uh, we just It's a, basically a, a limited edition can of Premiere which is gonna be released and available for people. I want Dan to have first grabs on it. I want Harlem Hops and Bronx Beer Hall to have first dabs on it. Will also be uh, March 1st, 5th in NoHo, 718 Broadway. For one of the biggest contemporary art fairs in the world, um, moniker art fair, we will be doing a pop-up of what the sampler and Uptown Beer Society embodies in the basement. So we are offering all free tickets to anybody. We're all about community and giving back. So these tickets start at 15 and end up at 75. So just uh, hit me up at Uptown Ales at Gmail or message me on Instagram, Uptown underscore Ales, and I'll send you a link. Um also shout outs to beer culture who released his book. We are the only retailer for his book in NYC. It's an informative book about beer styles. He's from the Bronx and more like touching people and not being pretentious. And you know, for new beer drinkers or people that live in the hood, he wrote a book. Um What what's his
1: handle? Beer culture.
2: Uh beer culture with a K. Just beer culture. With a K, no C's. Um, also we have a barrier collabo coming up in june and a big punk hardcore show at hunts point at a venue called the point which is a cross collabo with brewski's bar and grill bronx beer hall the samper uptown beer society kind of focusing on what bronx culture was it wasn't just hip-hop there was punk hardcore metal and ska in the bronx so we're doing a big show to give back to the kids we're doing a can release there and a draft release uh june 8th in the bronx and uh I'm ecstatic. Uh, Matt's going to work on a ton of stuff in London, launching London Beer Society, working with some partners out there, which things will be uh, told on the internet. So stay tuned. I mean, anything you want to add to that?
4: Yeah, I think you uh, you nailed it pretty much. Uh, but yeah, check well, us out at Uptown Beer Society.
1: Cheers to you guys. Uh, you guys are real new leaders of the craft beer community in New York City. Uh, I really appreciate it when you came on recently with Interbro, the Dead President collaboration. That was my favorite beer of the winter, the Vienna Lager that you guys made. So great, great work, guys. Thank you. Thank you. And Dan, you you know, uh, Beer Carminale, you're two years old. You're really a, another strong presence in the New York City craft beer scene. Two years in, we're actually going to celebrate on
3: June 1st uh, for our, our second annual uh, keg party. Try and keep it a little more chill and relaxed for our anniversary parties for our, our regulars and people that are part of our community. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun. And then May 6th, we're launching Night Shift Night Light. Uh, and then May 20th, we're launching the Allagash Cans. So we got a couple of fun events coming up as well. That's great. And
5: James? No, I'm just an old crank that's like, you know, really inspired by, you know, this, the new guard that's
1: coming in. And I look forward to having like my next round over at Beer Karma and uh, the sampler. So, what didn't we talk about? You started mentioning beer creep and some other Pop stuff. Hop creep. No, that's that's, for the, that's <laughs> for the next show. That's for the next show.
5: We'll talk about that later. All
1: right. Well, you guys, thanks for joining everybody. Uh, thank you, Joel, Matt dan james and for calling in julia and morella uh this is beer sessions radio on the heritage radio network big shout out to our producer justin kennedy engineer matt patterson uh, assistant producer intern Aliyah pipes i'm jimmy carboni thanks for joining us we'll catch you next time on beer sessions radio all right are you enjoying this
7: podcast heritage radio network has plenty more my name is diane stemple And I'm Elena Santigade, and we're the hosts of Cutting the Curd here on Heritage Radio Network. Featuring interviews with makers and mongers and everybody in between, this show is a downright funky look at the world of artisan cheese. You can find Cutting the Curd wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org.